0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, who was of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, "'Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you.'" And Mary was greatly troubled at this saying and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, "'Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said, how will this be for I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for she who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, I am, behold, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel said, Departed from her. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Luke to record these words. And we believe these words not only had power for Luke's day, but Lord, they have power today if we will hear them. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit and open this word to us, perhaps as never before that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for we pray it in Jesus name amen I invite you to be seated Mary's story is our story Mary's story is our story now, in no way am I downplaying Mary's unique role in the story of salvation history. Mary, we call her the God-bearer. The theological term is the Theotokos, the God-bearer. A unique role. And yet, Mary's story, as we see here in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, is truly for us to be a model for our, our own story. What happens in Mary's life is meant to happen in our life. Her fiat, its another theological word, it's Latin for let it be so unto me. Her fiat, her let it be so unto me, as you have said, that word that she speaks, that yes, is a model for what Christian discipleship looks like. The Lord comes into our life, he speaks a calling onto our lives, and then our response is to be like Mary's. Let it be to me according to your word. Now I can say that what happens to Mary is really a picture of our own story, acknowledging that none of us are actually going to um, you know, have a virgin birth story in our own life. So that is unique to Mary, but. The thrust of this whole story, the the picture of this saying yes to God's call in our lives is very much our own story because when the angel is asked by Mary in verse 34, how will this be for I am a virgin, how how is this impossible task going to take place? The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And that's why he says nothing will, in verse 37, nothing will be impossible for God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you to enable you to do what is impossible. You are a virgin. You're going to have a baby. This is impossible. So the Holy Spirit will come upon you. But what's amazing, friends, is that in Acts chapter 1, that baby that is conceived in Mary that is Jesus, the Son of God. He grows up, he lives his life, he pours out his life on the cross for us, dies, is risen again, and before he ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1, he uses the exact same phrase that the angel Gabriel spoke over Mary. The disciples have this impossible task in front of them. They're going to go out and they're going to turn the world upside down with the gospel. And what does Jesus now say, quoting exactly what Gabriel said to Mary? In verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You see, this is the Christian story. When we believe in Jesus, when we say yes to him as our Lord and Savior, the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out on us. God is going to call us to do impossible things in his name. God has got a purpose for your life that is so much bigger than we often will imagine. And that impossible calling will require the Holy Spirit to come in power and make what is impossible possible with God. So when Mar- Mary has the Holy Spirit come upon her for this impossible task, so we have the Holy Spirit come upon us for our impossible tasks. But the question I really want to ask today, if this is true, if it's true that Mary's story, at least here in Luke chapter 1, is really a picture of our own story, if she is a model for the kind of response that we should have to the Lord, my question is, how does she come to say yes to this? I mean, how does she say yes to this? How does she come to her place where she can say in verse 38, let it be to me according to your word? I would argue it's because she has truly heard the message from the angel Gabriel. I'm calling this the gospel according to Gabriel, the good news according to Gabriel. Gabriel the angel brings Mary good news and it's such good news, it's such transformative news that in the hearing of this news, Mary is willing to say yes. Mary is willing to say fiat. Let it be to me according to your word. Here's the gospel of Gabriel. Here's the gospel according to Gabriel. It goes like this in verses 26 to 38. It's summed up like this. The gospel according to Gabriel. God favors a nobody to be a somebody through whom, he'll, through whom he'll save the world. Let me say that again. God favors a nobody to be a somebody through whom he will save the world. God favors a nobody to be a somebody through whom he will save the world. And if we hear that gospel today, friends, if we hear this gospel according to Gabriel spoken over us... I'd believe it will shake us to our core and it will produce a yes, it will produce a let it be so to me according to your word in each of us, perhaps as we've never seen before, if we can really understand this gospel according to Gabriel. God favors a nobody to be a somebody through whom he will save the world. So let's start. Mary... Is a nobody. Now, I know that sounds crazy. I mean, Mary now, today, is the most famous woman in Western history, right? How could I possibly say she's a nobody? And yet, in our text today from Luke chapter 1, verse 26, if you want to turn with me, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we see her described with no royalty no skill, no character, nothing is spoken about her. All we hear is verse 27. The virgin's name was Mary. That's it. No claim to fame. The only claim that she maybe has to any kind of standing is that she is betrothed to a man named Joseph who is of the house of David, the ancient royal house. But that's it. We know nothing about Mary. And the reason that we see this, I think, so clearly as a real nobody. Luke wants us to see her, as this story begins, as a no one, because in comparison, if we look at Gabriel's earlier visit in chapter one to Zechariah, this is John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, at least by human standards, is not a nobody. See, if you compare the two, Zechariah looks like he's somebody worthy of a visit from Gabriel, Mary, in this text, looks like a nobody. Zechariah, look back in chapter one, verse five. Here's Zechariah, John the Baptist. We're gonna talk about him next Sunday. John the Baptist's father. Here's his credentials. Here's Zechariah's status. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, the great ancient first high priest. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. I mean, look at the resume right there. And then look what's happening. Verse eight says that while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And while he was pr- burning incense, the whole multitude was praying, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord next to the altar of incense. Now, you gotta realize, I mean, here's, here's Zechariah, priest married to a wife who has the ancient priesthood lineage. They're described as blameless and righteous before God, and he's in the temple burning incense, Within an ancient Near Eastern Jewish worldview, the altar of incense is right next to the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is the most holy place in the whole universe within a Jewish first century worldview. Zechariah is right next to it. He's in in the second most holy place in the universe. And you kind of say, blameless priest, awesome wife, burning incense. Angel shows up. That kind of makes sense. Right? And and I think the point is meant to be the comparison. Here's Zechariah who's got all the credentials. He's a somebody. And yet, when the angel speaks to him, when Gabriel gives his message, Zechariah doesn't believe it. So much so that he's struck dumb until the day that this prophecy of John the Baptist's birth is fulfilled. Zechariah, the somebody, totally bombs the interview. Mary, in comparison, verse 27, we know nothing about her. She's a nobody, and yet she, in verse 38, does what no other person could imagine, we could imagine they could say in this circumstance, let it be to me according to your word. This nobody gets it. So she's a nobody. She's, we just got a name. It's a common name. And this nobody from, is from nowhere. I mean, she's from Nazareth. Galilee was the backwater of, 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 of the empire, of, of, of the Jewish nation. Um, Galilee was so messed up that they referred to it as Galilee of the Gentiles. Okay? It was a, a, not a great place to be from. Nazareth was an obscure place. In John chapter 1, when Nathaniel meets Jesus of Nazareth, What is his word in verse 46? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Mary is a nobody from nowhere. And for the purposes of a birth story, she's got nothing. She's a virgin twice in this text. Verse 27, she was a virgin. Verse 34, she says, I'm a virgin. She's got nothing to bring into this equation. I mean, except an empty womb. Oh, what she brings into this equation. But on one level, you say, if it's going to be a baby story, if a baby has to get born, what does a virgin bring to this? Nothing. The womb is empty. She's a nobody from nowhere with nothing to offer. And yet, here's the gospel. God favors this nobody. God favors this nobody. Verse 28, the angel says, greetings, O favored one. And then verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. God favors this nobody. But you know what's amazing is when you look at the word favor, it doesn't mean what you think it means. At least not what I think it means. When I would read this text, for years I'd think, oh favored one favored one. I mean, she is, she's earned some special status before God. God has looked down and said, look at this one, favor. That's not what the word favor means in the text. It's not what it means. Favor means grace. Favored means graced. One who has shown grace. Mary hasn't earned anything. God didn't look down and say, oh, finally, Mary got born. I can favor her. No, God looks down on a nobody, an ordinary person, and favors her, pours his grace on her, looks on her with favor, which means it is grace, it is unearned, it is unmerited. She has done nothing to deserve this attention. She has done nothing to deserve this favoring by God. God, in his own love, in his own initiative, has looked down on Mary and said, I favor you. Isn't this the heart of the gospel? Grace? Grace? unearned love, unearned care, unearned kindness from the Lord. I mean, we live in a world where we're all trying to be somebody, aren't we? We're all trying to be somebody. Because maybe if I'm somebody in somebody's eyes, then I've got value, then I've got meaning. I'm a somebody, at least in somebody's eyes, I now have value and meaning. But it's thin and it's hollow, isn't it? You know that film, Chariots of Fire? That amazing story of Eric Liddell, the Christian runner in the 1924 Olympics, who you know, chose on the day of, because it was a Sunday that he had to run, he chose not to run in the heat that he had been prepared and training for, because he didn't want to break the Sabbath. And it got headlines, and you know obviously he got a movie made about him, um, and in the end he goes and runs a different race and still wins the gold for Britain. But in the movie, Chariots of Fire, Eric Liddell's kind of counterpart or or counterpoints, the the, the fellow who's really struggling with his identity. Here's Liddell, who's a solid Christian. He knows who he is before God. And this other fellow, this other runner, named Harold Abraham, really is struggling. And he says this about his racing career. This is the day of the 1924 race in the Olympics. Harold Abraham says this. He says, I will raise my eyes... And look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? See, he's trying to be somebody. He believes that in this he will justify his existence, that in becoming somebody, then he has a reason for being. And yet the gospel shatters this and says to us, it is not about being somebody that gives you value. It is about God in his love coming to you, a nobody and saying, favor, grace, love. In his choice, in his initiative, you did nothing to deserve it that gives us identity, that gives us value, that gives us meaning. Greetings, oh favored nobody. That's the gospel. And this nobody who's favored by God will be a somebody through whom he will save the world. See, God takes a nobody that he favors and turns us into somebody who can save the world. We don't save the world, he does the saving, but he uses these graced favored nobodies to save the world. Mary is an instrument of his salvation. You and I are called to be instruments of his salvation in the world. Look at verse 31 to 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means God saves. Literally it means Yahweh to the rescue. God saves. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. All of that says the king is returning. The king of creation is returning to put back his broken world. This is the salvation that our world needs, that is being brought to bear into the world. Mary is literally going to bear the king into the world so that he can repair and fix the broken world. You and I are called in a different kind of way to bear the king into the world so that he can repair and heal this world. We live in a broken world. We live in a divided world. We live in a divided country, Ever since November the 8th, I mean, every time I turn on the news, how divided is this this country? How divided is our world? I mean, when we read this passage from Isaiah chapter 2, this beautiful passage, where we shall beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks, nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, I mean, We read that and we go, oh, that sounds so nice. But then we look around the world and say, how is this ever going to be? Because the king returns. The king is putting back together his creation. This divided world we live in. You know this divided world. I know this divided world. I mean, I, I live at moments like on Friday in a divided household. Monica and I went to a Dallas Stars game when they were playing the Vancouver Canucks. And I wore a Canucks jersey. I have never been treated so badly in this country. We bumped into parishioners from here, the things they said to me that night. And my wife in her Dallas Stars jersey is loving every minute of it. A divided house, a divided house. The Stars won, that's good. I'm never going back to a Canucks game, I'll tell you that much. But in all seriousness, the division we see in this world is so real that we need this king. And can you imagine Mary being told, You are going to be an instrument by which God is going to save this world? Mary's being told, the gospel according to Gabriel is God favors a nobody to be a somebody through whom he will save the world, the broken world we live in. God is fully intending to use Mary and every disciple that's followed after her. She's kind of like the proto-disciple. She's like the first disciple. She's the picture of how we're to respond. God is saying, I'm gonna save the world and I'm gonna use you. The king is coming. Mary, you're gonna bear the king into the world. Other disciples, you're gonna bear the king in different kinds of ways into this world for its salvation, to fix it, to heal it. And note that there's a cost to her saying yes. Note, there is a cost. I mean, for her to say yes to this is not an easy thing. Verse 27, we know that she's betrothed to a man named Joseph, betrothal for the Jewish world. I mean, that was as good as marriage. And she is expecting and saying yes to this I think the engagement's going to be over. I mean, how's he going to respond to, yeah, God got me pregnant? Yeah, the girl in the next village over tried that last week. She assumes the marriage is over. She's she's willing to say yes to this, knowing the cost. She doesn't know that Gabriel has one more visit to make before this whole route is done. He's going to show up in Joseph's dream, and he's going to say in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. But she assumes her marriage is going to be done for. She also is literally, in verse 31, conceived in her womb. She's giving up her body in service to the Lord. I mean, how does that read in a world like we live in right now, where it's all about autonomy, it's all about me, it's all about my rights? She says, yeah, here I am, here's my body, here's my womb. Use it for your glory. I mean, there's a cost to this. And she doesn't even know the full cost. She doesn't know that as soon as the baby's born, they're going to have to flee to Egypt as refugees. She doesn't know that she's going to watch this boy grow up for 33 years. And the last three years, specifically of his life, she's going to watch the world fall in love with him and the other half of the world seek to kill him and hate him. She's going to watch her boy climb up Calvary and die on a cross. This is the cost of her saying yes to this call over her life. How can she say yes? How can she say, let it be to me, according to your word? Because she believes the gospel according to Gabriel. She hears the message and she believes it. God favors a nobody to be a somebody through whom he will save the world. Do you hear the purpose in that? I mean, we... We underestimate our discipleship again and again in our lives, don't we? I mean, can we, can we hear that gospel according to Gabriel spoken over us today? That God is fully intending to use you and me to bear the king into the world for the salvation of the world. It's impossible. So he's going to send his Holy Spirit upon us. He's going to empower us to do what we couldn't even imagine. Can you imagine in your workplace, in your home, in your school, where, in your neighborhood, that God has that high a call in your life? I mean, just dream for a minute. How is the Lord uniquely calling you to respond to this gospel according to Gabriel? God takes a nobody to be a somebody through whom he will save the world. In closing, I want to quote these words from Friedrich Buechner. Um, he's sort of hypothesizing about what was going on in Gabriel's mind. I think it's a great quote. I mean, it's, it's, this is not the canon of Scripture, but I think it's a really, I think, pretty accurate, possibly, description of what was going through Gabriel's mind when he came here. Just hear these words. Buechner writes this. He says, she struck him, Gabriel, as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he had been entrusted with a message to give her, and he gave it. He told her what the child was to be named, who he was to be, and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. You mustn't be afraid, Mary, he said. And as he said it, He only hoped she wouldn't notice that beneath the great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole future of creation hung on the answer of this girl. Friends, what's cool is the word angel. Angelos in the New Testament just means messenger. The reason I like this quote so much is that as a contemporary messenger before you, speaking this same gospel according to Gabriel over you, God favors a nobody to become a somebody through whom he will save the world. As I speak that message over you, that gospel according to Gabriel, like Gabriel, honestly, I tremble. I tremble at the thought of what hangs in the balance of whether you will say yes or no to God's call on your life, the impact it will make in this world, the salvation that we wrought through you as you bear the king in the world. Will you say yes to this gospel according to Gabriel? Will you believe this word spoken over you this day? I tremble at the thought of what it would look like more and more for this community to believe this, to call on the Holy Spirit and to say, as Mary says in verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.